So I definitely believe there has been a delayed and a delay of care, um, a backlog of care. It is very, and you know, without seeing the exact data, I anecdotally believe that to be, you know, region specific, depending on how bad that is. Mm-hmm. Um, you do also have regions that, you know, at times are hit harder um, with a COVID outbreak and resources are being taken away from, you know, one department to another. And sure. so you obviously have even, in, you know, on all regions, um, cyclical changes and delays, reschedules, um, progressions in medical conditions getting worse where they shouldn't have and should have been picked up. So you are going to see that. I think there's, I don't think you'll see a super spike in elective care. Okay. Um, you know, the, the knee scopes, the things that um, perpetually can go on a couple of years. I don't think there's a lot of extra capacity in some regions to, you know, work twice as long to catch up. I think they just get delayed over time. Like I, but I think other areas where there's always been, you know, extra volume and you didn't have to wait to get into something, you know, and again, I think it was geographic regions and how much oversaturation you may have in a, in a medical facility area. I think of North Texas being in like a super hyper competitive area where I think we have as much advertising for medical care as we have for food. I think that creates more medical care than may have been baseline necessary in the first place. But that has definitely changed through a pandemic and those that do simply, you know, non-critical medical care, I don't think they slowed down too much unless their resources got sucked into it. Those that do the critical care, you know, it's going to be a delay and more adverse, you know, disease prognosis. Are the claims going to be higher? I do think so. Welcome to the Rockstars Rocking Podcast, powered by Voluntary Disruption, a show dedicated to people who are crushing their business and life goals. These are bite-sized conversations with leading rock stars in their respective industry who are pumped to share their story to help drive you to the next level. So, are you ready to rock? Speaking of rock stars, here's your host, Eric Silverman. Hey, rock stars! Welcome back to another episode of Rock Stars Rockin'. And boy, do I have a rock star of all rock stars with me today. Everybody, welcome and meet my good friend Brett Brummett, founder of Generous Benefits out of the Greater Texas area. I can't give you one city because this guy's a roaming nomad. We're going to talk about that. Um, welcome, Brett. Thanks for having me, Eric. It is a pleasure to join. Absolutely, man. I appreciate it. Look, man, we've known each other for many years at this point, met uh, probably on social media and then uh, hooked up at a bunch of uh, industry-wide employee benefit conferences because uh, we're those um, there were those uh, really fun, exciting and engaging employee benefits um, uh, folks. So everybody knows how fun and party like we are. Um, I wanted to, um, to dive in, if you don't mind. I have a number of things that I want uh, our audience to um, to learn about uh, with respect to your thoughts and, and philosophies on, on, a, on a number of different topics. So um, the first thing on my mind um, is, um, is how did you, as I, I ask this to folks all the time in various industries, but, but how did you go from, um, 
from basically, uh, in this case, you went from the claim side of the insurance world on the property and casualty world uh, to the employee benefits side. Like, what made you make that jump? Because that was a, a life altering career change because you've stayed in this side of the world ever since. Yeah, that was, you know, unintentional journey. So right out of college, I had went to college with one pursuit in mind originally, which was go into seminary, uh, go into the pastor world. And my minor was in criminal justice um, through my experiences. That's an interesting combo. Yeah, I know, of course. But I definitely gravitated towards the criminal justice side by the time I graduated. Um, I'm actually only, I think, four hours short of a criminal justice degree as well, hmm. um, just because I minored and had a huge interest in it. Uh, and wanted to go at that point in time into, you know, FBI law enforcement work. And I was told, go somewhere and be licensed, you know, just go get some kind of license. So I ended up getting an adjuster's license, uh, went to work for Geico, did the training, did the car claims, did the whole fun recorded interviews with, you know, both parties every time they had a fender bender, learned to pull, you know, the glorifying police records. Um, <laughs> and that was my first job. I, at that then was looking, you know, moved around, had, didn't really know what I truly wanted to do with my life at that point. Cause you know, I finished with college with a psychology degree, desire to go to ministry and deciding that's neither of those things were for me with a college degree uh, and ended up, you know, applying to a police department, had an offer to work at the Bryan police department and had that moment of, I don't know that this is for me either. Hmm. Called a gentleman I knew who had a mutual of Omaha agency, introduced me to someone else. And the next thing you knew, I was, in a sales role at Mutual of Omaha, because at least at that, as I looked at it that way, at least I wasn't working night shifts. Hmm. And that became a whole year of learning how to sell. And I believe when all was said and done, I probably owed them more money than I made that year. Oh, jeez. You know, <laughs> I, I learned all kind of great insurance terminology, like chargebacks and yeah, draws and advances. It was, it was a different time, um, but great experience. I learned a lot about products that I don't sell that much anymore, but I did learn at least about having the conversation between a buyer, a seller, and finding out what was necessary to, you know, appease a void, figure out what they needed, and hopefully, um, and at that point in time, I remember having sleepless nights on advice uh, and feeling like I was always unsure of myself, but hopefully giving good advice to someone in the moment. So did you have a defining moment uh, when you were um, at that agency in Mutual of Omaha where you said um, you want to continue into the benefits world, but you wanted to be more in the, the actual major medical health benefits world? Uh, and was there a reason? Like, was there a purpose you wanted to have a greater impact to help people? Like, was there any, anything specific? I hated selling life insurance in the evening to a couple. Um, you know, we yeah, worked the we worked the fun, you know, mortgage leads. So I was always having appointments with first time or new homeowners selling the need of the mortgage coverage for life insurance and having to sit down at a table, paint the gruesome picture, killing off at least one spouse, what's the financial deficit for the next one, and then roll in some layers of, you know, what do you need for your kids? What do you want for your life? How many more years were you going to work? And 
basically it was a sales process to back into how am I going to milk this person across from me for a hundred dollars a month in premium so I can make what I need to hit a sales quota. Now that's a little bit reductionist of what it really was. And that's not the mentality I went in those sales with, but it was essentially the numbers that needed to occur to be, you know, sustainable in that role. And I very soon gravitated to the group health plan, the worksite sales, uh, the conversations with the shop owners. It was something that I was comfortable with. It was a, um, it was business group. to business. Yeah. It was day, and, daytime. Yeah. And I had run, you know, self-employed, you know, young kid stuff. So I had had a lawn business. I had a small engine lawnmower repair business on the side. I repaired people's cars. You know, I was, a, um, I could turn a wrench with pretty good skill. And so I was always able to make a couple hundred dollars whenever I needed to. And that led me into having a very good conversation with small businesses and small business owners as far as, you know, knowing the lingo, knowing the mentality, I could walk into a place as long as it wasn't super professional and strike up a conversation. Uh, I knew the timing of especially a mechanic shop. So that woodworking, mechanic shops, those industries I gravitated to early had sales success doing you know, essentially employee benefits at that time, even though I don't think I knew the words for it. <laughs> and that, that was what I enjoyed more. And as I, as I matured through that role, moved back to the North Texas area, out of the Bryan College area, tried that one more time and eventually left the Mutual of Omaha Nest and went over to, you know, a full-fledged employee benefits firm where I still had advances on commissions and draws, but was preached early on to get out of that as soon as possible mm -hmm. um, to getting into a, you know, an as earned world. Sure. And that's been very, very fruitful to my success of not having that, that angst of being able to build a sustainable, you know, a block of business or agency. So, so you, um, you know, you've been in the employee benefits world collectively for more than 20 years Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, very similar to me, you, you dates wise, you literally started in the insurance employee benefits world right in the same, uh, year I did 99, uh, 98, 99. Um, and a question I'm curious for you, I mean, you know, going, looking back 20 plus years later, um, I imagine there's things you would have changed, but all in all, uh, are you happy you've been down this road? Uh, you've gone down the journey of, of employee benefits, which was a total accident. Yeah, total accident. I mean, there's some sense of grandiose ego that says, why didn't I do something else? And could I have cured cancer at this point? But once you get that, you know, delusion away, what I've been able to do, the career path, the time with, you know, either my family, you know, raising kiddos, doing everything else this is afforded, being able to bring on employees, helping the employers, it, it has been a very rewarding journey and the experiences that I have gotten to make the insight I've been able to gain being party to conversations that I had no real merit at being at the table to learn from. It's been a super rewarding. And I feel like after 20 you know, plus years, I'm actually able to recognize some of that to impart, you know, wisdom through stories at time. And hopefully some amount of humility of still knowing that I 
am invited to a table and a discussion, which I probably don't have the merit to be weighing in, but if I can leave with a little bit of something that is useful and impart that to someone else, then I call that success. I like it. I like it. Well, I mean, look, it wasn't, um, it wasn't long ago. I mean, it was right at the end of 19. Uh, little did we know we were in for a, a, a rude awakening in 2020. But at the end of 2019, you left a big firm um, where you were a managing partner for a long time um, and a consultant. And you went out and opened up where you're at now, Generous Benefits. Um, I mean, you've, you said it earlier, you, you've had an entrepreneurial uh, mindset forever. But what, what was uh, a, a catalyst that's, that made you say, you know what, enough's enough. I want to start this over again and, and do it on my own. Yeah, at that point in time, I was really starting to gravitate to wanting to do more agency consulting, more coaching, a little bit more tech consulting for insurance agencies. Mm -hmm. And I didn't feel like it was super fair to take that kind of route inside of another agency that that wasn't the, you know, the mission goal for that, you know, but serving other agencies while it does serve employers didn't serve that agency so well. Uh, at least I, I didn't want it to be that huge conflict about why is why are these resources being not accountable and over here. And so I wanted to create something a little bit different. Generous benefits itself was the concept of um, more of a, a book or a writing than an actual insurance agency in the beginning. It was a formation of my looking on about a five-year journey about what kind of stone have I not you know, turned over looking for good solutions. What else is out there? Hearing the success stories that I couldn't comprehend people having with health insurance or other employee benefits items about successes, uh, about removing financial barriers, um, being able to, you know, take savings and create, you know, 401k investment for a company for waste they were using in the health plan. These huge success stories caused me to go on that path. And I really wanted to find something different. I realized I also need to take a more generous um, wider view of what I considered employee benefits and learned from those brokers, those companies, different movements in the industry, different anti-insurance movements in the industry. What, what were the successes they were finding? And that was really where I took that and said, I need a more generous look at it. And that's how I viewed that journey that I'm still on today. It is a, not a more holistic, but a wider view uh, and a more open understanding of what's going on in different subsets of employer communities, social communities regarding benefits, health, you know, what is really impacting people in day-to-day -day life. And so that was originally going to be more of a writing. At that point in time, I decided it needed to actually, I needed a place to exist. So I, when I spun off, uh, Generous Benefits actually became the name of the agency as well. Well, so what's the status of that writing, that book? It is about the same status it was in 2019. It is a <laughs> concept on uh, a white erase board with like 20 bullet points that uh, as you, you know, build a firm and a new career, not a new career, but start your career over again, that that's kind of been put on the back burner from a writing standpoint. Is it still, it's, it's, is it, is there still a pilot light or? I would say there's a pilot light, though there's not a lot of stuff being pumped towards it these days as far as a, as a true writing. Pump up those BTUs, man. Yeah, we will get there at some point. Right now, I'm, I, I have a general concept of where I want the agency to be uh, to when I can start 
being a little less focused on sales and education internally to get back to that. And we have grown a lot in the last you know year and a half. We had a really successful year last year. Uh, and this year we're having a very successful year uh, hiring and training to support the success we had last year. So, you know, like any business, we're going through the growing pains, um, but I am extremely hopeful and grateful for every, you know, every moment, every team member, everything we do along the way has been, things have fallen into place way easier than they should have. So you do have that little black cloud above your head that goes, when's it all going to come crumbling down? But honestly, from the the team that I've assembled, I have nothing but hope uh, we are going to, you know, continue to grow and get to that level that I want to get this place to um, as I make it the foundation for the, you know, really the rest of my career. Well, let's talk about it. I mean, I saw you, um, I don't know if it was a few weeks ago, you, um, you're pretty social on LinkedIn and so forth. And you made a post about, um, and I don't want to butcher uh, by paraphrasing, but in my memory, it was something to the effect of, you know, this year you're trying to be more, uh, intentional with, um, with, with your team members, you know, you're bringing aboard new people, you're training them, you're supporting everything from, from last year's growth. Um, can you elaborate a little bit? I might not have used the right word intentional, but be more in the moment, have more uh, conversations and more calls and more zooms. And I, I think that's what the genesis of the post was. Yeah. You, 20 years, right. You have a lot that exists in your head. And you have the problem that you can speed the delivery on your own really fast, but you can't duplicate and delegate if you don't talk out loud of what goes through your mind. Mm-hmm. And so trying to remember that I need to get from point A to point B, but there's actually a hundred different steps along the way and how to communicate those things in a more clear less industry acronymed mannerism to someone else is really super important. So we've been working really hard internally um, cleaning up our, our verbiage. You know, we use Asana as our book of knowledge. So it's a software project. It's a project management software, but we use it for documenting everything inside the agency. And so that becomes something that we continually create notes in, review, create tasks and update the names of our tasks. And we hired two more um, teammates this summer. And we also had an intern this summer. So three, three new hires essentially in 2021, um, which doubled the size of our place. So, you know, it's, it's a lot to take and create effective group think. Not that we all have to think alike, but we at least have to know where our center of reference is. And my goal is to make sure that the center of reference doesn't have to be what's in Brett's head, what's in Kalinda's head, what's in Leanne's head. I need to make sure that expands into more accessible routes. You know, the um, one of the things I think I find frustrating with larger entities is when you the separation between knowledge and the end user Um, and so trying to find a way as we grow that we don't duplicate the sins of larger agencies and that we have the ability to do that review that take the time to really get everyone you know know where to go to feel empowered and to be able to understand the why behind the what has been really intentional for us so you but and all your folks uh, including yourself you're all virtual there is no physical office that everybody reports to every day right yeah we are a virtual team i 
don't like going to an office myself. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, de facto boss, I don't want to ask people to do what I don't want to do because I feel like that creates a very um, bad employee environment. You know, when the owner is not willing to go to work, (laughs) it's fine as long as he's an investor, but not if he's active like I am. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I don't want to create that. And so from day one, I very much created a, a virtual workspace. Well, that was regardless of the pandemic. Like this was yeah. 19, you already made that decision. So you were ahead of the curve. Yeah. When, um, you know, back 2000, 2002, um, ended up doing the single parent gig as a salesperson. And I adapted very early to not being in the office, you know, forwarding the phones, doing everything virtual as possible, um, only showing up in the office between 10 and two. Like I had a very condensed work day that I could be somewhere physically or that I chose to be somewhere physically. And so I was very skilled and adept to it and enjoyed it immensely. Um, I find that personally, I do need to kind of, you know, every now and then step out between, you know, 1 p.m. and 3 p.m. and use a wrench or a, a sander on a car and just do something different than work, just to cycle back and be fresh on what I need to get achieved that day. And that was always very conducive in a, in a work from home environment because I could always, you know, skip down to a garage or, or go to the automotive shop and just do something different just to, to refresh myself. Mm-hmm. And so that's really, you know, something I still hold very dear um, to my central personality. And, you know, if a company that you start is somewhat a cult of your own personality, that's something that's central to me. So talk to me about um, training virtually, right? I mean, it, it's it's a hot topic these days because of the pandemic. I mean, every company is still, and they're going to be still dealing with how do you onboard and then ultimately train a new producer or a new account executive or whomever on your team. And this is any industry, by the way. How do you do that in a virtual environment? Do you, do you fly them in and you meet with them in person for a few days ahead of time? Is it all virtual? Like, how do you do it? Um, so far, it's all virtual on the on our new employees. I I've never seen them in a three dimensional space. Um, now, our our intern I knew um, because she was a youth that played played softball in the softball league in my hometown, and that's how I got introduced to her. And she applied, and I had wasn't looking for an intern, but I thought this would be a good exercise for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and she worked out wonderfully. You'll actually see some of her um, employee navigator training videos she did for us over the time. So we honestly used her new hire onboarding and internship to start helping clean up and develop our training process. Uh, It is a decent catalog of online training videos. I mean, you can't, in a small firm, you you can't stop everything for, you know, two weeks at a time and not have anybody answering the phones and the client needs. And so being able to stage out team trainings, handing off, delegating trainings, shadowing, you know, online, virtual, Zoom, Google, um, whatever you need to use is definitely a piece of it, but we do have some self-training along the way. Uh, team meetings, I, I generally don't like meetings. I'm not a meeting person. Um, so I'm having to do more of them because I understand the need of making sure we talk through and have everybody on the same page and if I say we need to achieve something, my definition of achieving and being done may not be super clear. I'm also not a very um, black and white person. I'm, if you tell me, ask me how something has to be done, I'll just tell you 
well, it just has to be done. I can't give you the exact steps because I know you can skip the step and still achieve the same outcome. Hmm. Um, so I have to rely on my teammates to have a little bit more of a, a black and white approach to it. And I, I probably explain things with too many fruity words and how to get from point A to point B. So let me, um, let me switch gears a little bit. I'm mm-hmm. curious your thoughts on, um, you know, we, we did talk a little bit about uh, work from home and the pandemic, but let's talk about the pandemic and the impact on uh, medical plans um, moving forward, right? Um, you know, not everybody listening is a employee benefits insurance expert. So just to kind of set the stage here, I mean, you know, there was a, a, for most of 2020, depending on the state, I know you're in Texas, a little bit different, but, you know, for most of the country, people were not getting their routine checkups and physicals and mammograms and cancer screenings and getting, um, you know, uh, elective or routine procedures done that they otherwise would have. Um, so I feel like I've heard that the 2020 claims were rather low. Do you think that's going to um, pile up over the course of the next few years? Do you think there's going to be people um, that are going to have medical challenges that could have potentially been avoided had they had their routine screenings and so forth uh, during 2020? Um, what are your thoughts on all that stuff? So I definitely believe there has been a delayed in, a delay of care, um, a backlog of care. It is very, and you know, without seeing the exact data, I anecdotally believe that to be, you know, region specific, depending on how bad that is. Mm-hmm. Um, you do also have regions that, you know, at times are hit harder um, with a COVID outbreak and resources are being taken away from, you know, one department to another. And sure. so you obviously have even, in, you know, on all regions, um, cyclical changes and delays, reschedules, um, progressions in medical conditions getting worse where they shouldn't have and should have been picked up. So you are going to see that. I think there's, I don't think you'll see a super spike in elective care. Okay. Um, You know, the, the knee scopes, the things that um, perpetually can go on a couple years. I don't think there's a lot of extra capacity in some regions to, you know, work twice as long to catch up. I think they just get delayed over time. Like I, but I think other areas where there's always been, you know, extra volume and you didn't have to wait to get into something, you know, and again, I think it was geographic regions and how much oversaturation you may have in a, in a medical facility area. I think of North Texas being in like a super hyper competitive area where I think we have as much advertising for medical care as we have for food. I think that creates more medical care than may have been baseline necessary in the first place. But that has definitely changed through a pandemic and those that do simply, you know, non-critical medical care, I don't think they slowed down too much unless their resources got sucked into it. Those that do the critical care, you know, it's going to be a delay and more adverse, you know, disease prognosis. Are the claims going to be higher? I do think so. I do think we will see an increase in that. I do think we had a artificially different 2020 claims year. Uh, from what I'm seeing right now, as I look at claims and incidences, I am seeing a lot more of a need in the mental health area, a higher number of claims coming through that area, a higher number of my employers asking for resources in that. And right now, you know, this, we're recording this in September of 2021. I'm seeing more, more claimants 
and higher dollar care costs that are both COVID and non-COVID related than I saw all of last year. Hmm. So um, I, I would agree, uh, and I'm no uh, major medical health expert like yourself, but from the conversations I've had with other folks in the industry that you know, like like yourself, and 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 certainly my take on it, I've, I'm still in the employee benefits industry this whole year, all these years. Um, I see it, and um, what I've had uh, other advisors like yourself tell me, and I, I assume you'd agree, is that when you're able to give good news to an employer in 2020 about the way their um, plan ran, that's good, but you also need to caution them with don't get too excited because uh, we don't know what's in store for 21 and 22 based on everything you just talked about. You know, and I think that may be where, you know, we don't have, you and I don't have a great um, knowledge of how to base this on, right? We've only lived, you know, 40 something years. We don't have 150 years of ebbs and tides to figure out how the, the flow of this works sure. through, through great global pandemics. But we do have industry swings. We have different changes in the market that have their own, you know, high tides, low tides and claims. And I think anytime we have good news as an employer, we always have to caution it with, but this, this has to be viewed as a here and now and not necessarily an ongoing trend. Right. Um, you know, I always try to explain things in, in five or 10 year increments when we're talking to employers, like you're going to have the ups and downs. The question is when we look back at it, a totality of five years, are we flat? Are we ahead? Are we behind? Uh, and this is one of those where 2020 may have been a great claims year. Um, when it comes to insurance pricing renewal, though, I mean, a great claims year did not necessarily lead to lower pricing for 2021. I, I do think there was a lot of actuarial angst of not knowing. And I think that actually led into prices either staying stable or prices still increasing without the claims data to say that someone had a, a you know a pending bad claim coming. They, everyone just knows that there are some bad claims coming. And that's the very uncomfortable um, state we have to live in. And I think we'll probably be living in that tenuous state for another two to three years. Yeah. So um, speaking of it, let's 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 flash forward, right? And this probably has happened to you, or maybe not, but maybe it's happened in the years past. But <laughs> let's flash forward a couple of years. And uh, you have an employer who's self-funded, um, meaning they're not with a fully insured major medical carrier, like a Blue Cross type uh, company. And um, you have an employer who had a bad year uh, for whatever reason, or a couple of bad years. And they say, Brett, I'm done. I'm out. I'm waving my red flag, my white flag. Um, I want to go back to the, to the major medical fully insured side. What do you say to an employer who comes to you like that and, and is uh, hitting the panic button uh, after testing the waters and trying it out? I think you have to be very, very sensitive to that and understand exactly where they're coming from. Like someone that's had a couple of really bad years, uh, they are feeling like they are either paying more, at least, at least paying what they were before, or possibly paying more in a very different, different or more volatile payment cycle. You know, that's a lot of pain. And there are very few self-insured products in that independent area that don't have a little bit of a different employee member experience too. And so you're coupling high costs with possibly some things that an employee views as a, a higher barrier to care. You know, we, we call it cost containment, right? Sure. <laughs> but cost containment comes with some kind of redirection or extra effort on the part of an employee going through a medical journey. Now, it's for their benefit in most cases, but it's not the way it's perceived most often. So you have 
high dollars, harsh employee feedback coupled together. And for sure, an employer wants to say, can I, can I just have what I had before? Um, and I think you have to take them through that journey of absolutely, we can do that. Let's look at what that would mean impact from a, you know, a member standpoint, a company standpoint, revenue cycle, uh, you know, levelizing out in a fully insured versus paying a claims fund twice a month. You know, what does that look like for you? Does it achieve your strategic benefit? Are we doing it so we can level set and get started over, clean up for a couple of years, wait out some bad claims? Are we doing it just as a knee-jerk reaction? So, I mean, you do have to dig in and figure out why. I personally am not opposed to that as a as part of the cycle. Now, it can be very difficult for some employers to go back to that, especially in the midst of a bad claims year. But if you're in a market that is willing to take on or tolerate that that chance and there's a good option, I mean, it's hard to argue against as a strategy, especially if you're also still looking at, um, you know, maybe another year or two of high claims where it wouldn't be in your favor. I mean, it's great to go into a self-insured product coming off a great, you know, claims year or two great claims year um, to make sure you're starting in that, you know, that position with your, you know, not only your lowest cost, but your lowest stop loss factors and being seen as an aggressive group that can do fun things instead of having to, you know, be faced with hurdles every time you turn around. Yeah, no, I mean, no doubt, no doubt. Um, so I wanted to um, lighten it up real quick as we start to, to wrap up. I mean, you've always been, a, a, to me, you've always been into technology and, and automation and, and uh, you're always, um, uh, we've had this conversation, you've always been uh, able and willing and interested to, to even be a guinea pig to explore uh, new, um, new technology and new, uh, new things that ultimately you want to be the, the guy that tests it on you and your employees before you uh, introduce it and recommend it to your, to your employer group clients. I mean, in uh, just a few years ago, you were the tech advisor of the year by one of the most prestigious industry magazines. So um, what's out there, man? It's uh, 2021. Is there anything um, neat or creative that you're, that you're using that you like, uh, whether it be benefits related or productive, uh, productivity related within your firm? Yeah, we are still using, I mean, it, it seems weird, but we're still using the software we used, you know, three or four years ago, or at least that I was using three or four years ago. It is still, you know, everything is, you know, in the quote unquote cloud, but sure. it's all, you know, accessible remote. It's nothing new uh, of the new things we have been testing out this year. I mean, we did bring on board, um, you know, an Airbo service. So it's fun and light education material. Um, that's not necessarily light education material. I mean, Meh. it's, it's insurance. Nothing's light about talking about dismemberment of two fingers, a pinky toe and an arm, but <laughs> you know, you, you make it into, you know, kind of your, your social media experience gift like uh, tile or funny video to grab attention. So definitely looking for ways to grab employee attention, where you can't reach them the way you used to be. I mean, you, I have not been in a conference room in a meeting with an employer now in over a year and a half. Right. That's, that's fine. It's not a big deal. We were prepared for that because we wanted to reach someone in a digital environment, um, a mobile environment, really, even before, you know, 2019 hit. It's something we've been looking for. How do you, how do you take the education message and, you know, get that in a, you know, member or employees home at 830 at night when you're battling, you know, great television, great social media content, what people are remembering, you know, how do you get it? How do you get insurance technology and navigating the healthcare 
system into the lexicon of the children in a home. Like that's that's a huge battle. Like everyone comes out of college or their first medical experience saying, gosh, we were never taught how to deal with this. Right. Um, you know, the world is stacked against you in a healthcare journey. Um, it, it's hard to navigate. You, no matter how much you know, you cannot think straight when, you know, crisis, emotion, pain is involved and, and being able to navigate a system in the moment or much less having to go through the moment and navigate the, the billing system after the fact is a huge burden. So how do you continue to help someone through that journey, know where to turn um, at the right time? These are all things we want to educate on early on. And this is back to my point of you kind of have to make it ridiculous if it's going to stick. Uh, and that that's a service that's helped us get some levity and some ridiculousness into um, the employee's hands. So that's been a service we've enjoyed. Everything else is really similar. I mean, it's online enrollments, it's Zoom meetings, text messaging services. Nothing, nothing is actually all that new or innovative right now um, from what I'm seeing. And that's and that's fine because we have a long way to go in our industry to get everybody up to that speed. Like sure. there, we still run into um, agencies that are not even ready for, um, actually, I think everyone's actually ready for a Zoom meeting these days. And that's actually a huge shift in the last two years. Right. Uh, so everyone's come along a long way. I think the thing we're facing next is a lot of, in, you know, in the insurance industry, and I'm sure in other industries as well, are how to appropriately use the technology, the two-dimensional meetings, not to burn everybody out. I mean, we talked earlier on about training. You have to be very conscious of how long you're engaging with someone in a two-dimensional area because it takes a toll on the brain. Like my, I see you, even though we're doing an audio recording and my, you know, my brain wants to go ahead and fill in all the details about what's on the back of your head. Um, and that takes a toll to someone subconsciously after several hours. And it definitely has to be attentive. So I think we're going to have to learn how to use these mediums as a more sensitive manner. And everyone's going to respond to it differently. Um, I know I can only do about four hours of Zoom meetings per day, and I will be mentally and physically burned out. That's that a lot. Not, that, that is a lot, but that may not be someone else's case. They may only be able to handle 30 or 40 minutes of it. Sure. Um, and, and for our team, like, it's nice that we're all started remote. And so it's not weird to know that any given time I'm going to like say, oh, let's hop on and do this on a screen share. And, you know, they get the Google icon. We're ready to go. Um, we also live in a cameras on environment because we know that we have to supplement the, the lack of seeing each other in the social aspect through video. Like it's, um, emojis aren't going to cut it for our team. Like we actually have yeah. to see each other to develop those personal relationships to understand whether or not, you know, is Brett frustrated? Is Brett tired? Is Brett happy? I mean, I, I had a whole speaking. Brett hangry. Recently. Yeah. I mean, cause <laughs> I, I'm, I'm also very, one of the very flat affect people in life, like my happy and my angry look very similar. So it's super nuanced and it, it's even more so, you know, if I'm typing you a message. I got you. I got you. Well, um, I want to do, I don't want to end our um, chat without yeah. talking about your coaching. Uh, you've been really big into helping other employee benefit uh, broker advisors, whatever you want to call them, consultants mm -hmm. like, uh, like you and I, um, and you've been doing that through the Q4 team. Um, can you expand on that a little bit and talk about uh, why you're so passionate about coaching? 
Yeah, when when it comes to like what I ultimately want to be doing with the second half of my career, like I, I feel like I'm in that second mountain stage. Like I had the first half of the career, that's good. I achieved what I wanted to, and now I'm on to the the second area. And so for me, it's really about developing other insurance agencies. Um, I am not as passionate on the sales side maybe as I should be. I'm more passionate about the operational and the service side. Mm -hmm. That's just where I tend to gravitate to. Uh, Not that I don't do both. I mean, we do um, both sales coaching uh, with agencies. I tend to focus a little bit more on the operation side in, in my coaching sessions. Like right now I'm working with a group of account managers. And we're working on you know different topics of the life cycle of account all the way from a new client handoff from sales to service um, but really talking about how to make that cohesive life cycle building that trust that someone games in the sales process all the way that that trust that torch is carried from a sales process all the way through a service process back to a resale process uh, that that's what i'm working on right now with one of the groups and that's been a super fun project especially to to really learn uh, i'm like a moderator. So I, I come with some content, but really the member agencies bring their own content and watching those interactions agency to agency, you know, trying to figure out what, what is applicable to a group in California to a group in Ohio is extremely refreshing uh, to learn from. And that's been super um, empowering as I do that coaching. I also do some of the coaching on the technology side, you know, is it is is it one service system some that four agencies are using and we get in the weeds on that like so how is this set up i mean we see tons of technology and agencies that are sold and half deployed like nothing's ever really fully finished out or fully set up or you know and then why doesn't something work for someone well it's 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 only half implemented um you know, sales got back in the way, service got back in the way, um, life gets back in the way, nothing's an, ever a finished product in technology, and then the technology updates. So that's been really one of the more, that's the second leg of it that I enjoy a lot is getting in, helping people with those, the technology piece of it. I mean, as you, you allude to, it's something that I enjoy, I gravitate to, um, people like you in the magazine say I'm actually kind of good at it. <laughs> So um, I, ha- I have friends all the time going, you're not a broker, you're a fintech guy. And I'm like, yeah, probably, but you know, I'm still a good broker too. <laughs> I would agree. I would agree. And I get that a lot too. I, I don't, I consider myself a communication and engagement, uh, more like a marketing company uh, that happens to sell insurance and do employee benefits. At least yeah. that's, uh, that's how I like to phrase it just because that's what I enjoy. You got to do what you enjoy. So yeah. you like tech stuff and being creative and, and, um, and I like some different things as well. So, yeah. um, well, look, man, yeah. I, I, actually, I, I don't, if you don't mind, I do want to circle back on that. Um, oh, sure. just cause I, I was thinking it's, you know, the, the passion there isn't necessarily, I mean, it is coaching and seeing people thrive, but looking back to, um, the agencies that I've been friends with the agencies that I've been involved with, um, the, the joy for me is seeing that agency that thinks they don't have the ability to do it internally and a lot of times either outsource or start looking for ways to exit Mm -hmm. seeing them then turn to a we've got this we still want to own the client process we don't want to be so you know removed through a private equity or venture capital arrangement to get this scope and scale i think those are actually the ones that really excite me through that coaching process to see to see the service team to see the sales team to see the ownership 
really empowered that they are they actually have what they need or if they don't have what they need to, to feel like they can develop it. I think that's actually the part of the, the coaching passion that gets me super jazzed. I like it. I like, well, that's what, that's what gives you the fire in the belly. Um, yeah. And also um, it's more the, it sounds to me that it's the passion for more long-term, right? You like helping employers and employees and you're really damn good at it, but ultimately um, you believe, and I agree with you that you can have even a greater impact on frankly, our industry by imparting all that you've learned and, and trials and tribulations and experiences on other folks that are not, um, not up to speed, uh, for lack of a better term. Yeah. And that has been a fun part of the journey. I mean, we, I do think we were still, I think technology definitely put the agencies in a crosshairs over the last decade. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's the I don't think that's the crosshairs we're going to be in over the next decade. I think we're going to be in a, social realignment, um, the work from home alignment. I do think that the insurance industry is about to catch up and catch wind of a whole different um, set of assumptions over leadership, over gender roles, and a lot of bias that is already built in. I think that's really the next big wave of the insurance agency swing. Um, and I feel like it's one of the few industries that's far behind the times from from at least the independent agency side uh, and what they're about to experience. And so I think really, um, honestly, I think gender roles are going to be our next biggest moment in employee benefits, not only internally, but as the way it has been done and communicated no longer aligns with our clients. And so I think that's really the next biggest um, shift. I like it. Well said, man. Well, listen, uh, I appreciate you coming on, man. It's always a blast chatting with you. And, and I learned more today than I, and I thought I already knew you well. So uh, I know that you're a big baseball guy. I know that you like mm -hmm. cars. <clears throat> I know that you're a roaming nomad. You, you and your wife are trying to figure out where you want to uh, grow up for the rest of your life. Um, yeah. But I did definitely didn't know uh, a lot about the stuff that you talked about today. So I appreciate mm -hmm. you sharing and, um, and uh, it's been a blast, man. So listen, real quick, I know you're on social media on LinkedIn. Uh, and uh, I think your website is generousbenefits.com. Is that accurate? That is accurate. And then, um, you know, it's LinkedIn is more of the industry insight. Our Instagram, Generous Benefits, is more of the, the consumer end user kind of items, you know, more somewhat mixed between employer and employee facing content. Um, as, as same as Facebook. So those are our, our main channels. Okay, good. Well, if anybody is looking to reach out to Brett, for those that are not already connected or don't, or don't know Brett, uh, you can find him on LinkedIn. You can find him uh, there for social media. Uh, you can certainly find him um, uh, from his website. And uh, as always, of course, if you have any questions, thoughts, ideas, comments for either Brett or myself, please leave them in the comments section below. Uh, if you're uh, watching a, a clip here on um on social media or YouTube, or you're um, listening on uh, podcasts, wherever you consume podcasts, we appreciate it. And um, look, I always say it takes a village, right? I mean, I just show up and ask some questions and have some fun, but uh, it's, uh, I have a team behind me that puts this together. I'm no tech guy like you. So uh, for everybody behind the scenes at the Rockstars Rockin' Podcast, uh, I'm Eric Silverman. That everybody is Brett Brummett and uh, appreciate you, uh, you all listening and watching. Thanks, Brett. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of the Rockstars Rocking Podcast. If you haven't done so already, make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you consume podcasts. 
And if you feel so inclined, please leave us a review. Five stars would totally rock. Until next time, rock stars, keep rocking.